Good morning, Springbrook. Welcome in. Welcome to the house of the Lord for worship. We are so grateful that you would choose to spend your morning with us. We believe God's actually here, actually present and at work in us and in this space and in our time together. And so we're excited about what God's going to do in our midst this morning. So thank you for being here and being a part of it. If you're joining us online at our 9 o'clock service, we have online hosts who are available for you. They're there all throughout the service to answer your questions and specifically to pray with you. We want you to feel connected to what God's doing here. We want you to feel cared for no matter where you are, what's going on in your story right now. So you can use that request prayer button to get to one of our hosts in a one-on-one chat. Um, If you have anything that they can pray with you over, they would be delighted to do that. Thank you from wherever you are for joining us this morning. I would love to invite you to stand as you are able in body or spirit for our call to worship, which today comes from Psalm 100, where it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Did you know there are over 400 references to singing throughout Scripture? And there are over 50 direct commands to sing. There is something powerful when the people of God sing, when we sing together, when we sing truths over each other and over ourselves, when we sing praises to the Most High God. There is something spiritually powerful about what we gather here to do today. So I want to encourage you to participate as you feel led, to sing out loud. This is something that honors and glorifies our God. Let's lift our voices in praise of him together this morning. Let's sing this together. Father of mercy, King of all kings, even in darkness I will sing, I will sing. Cause I've been set free, running out of the grave, set free, all my sin washed away, set free, breaking out of the chains, and I'm alive. I will sing, and I will sing your goodness. 
new song this morning. It's based on a verse from Psalm 127, verse 1, where it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We're going to sing this song out about who we put our hope and our trust in. It is only in the Lord. So Kara is going to teach us the chorus, and then I'm going to invite you all to sing along with us. If the Lord builds the house, nobody can tear it down. One, Two, three. If the Lord builds the house, nobody can tear it down. If the Lord builds the house, nobody can tear it down. When it's built on his name, there's nothing gonna shake this ground. If the Lord builds the house, nobody can tear it down. All right, we're going to sing that together. If the Lord builds a house, one, two, three. If the Lord builds a house, nobody can tear it down. If the Lord builds a house, nobody can tear it down. When it's built on his name, there's nothing going to shake this ground. If the Lord builds a house, nobody Trusted my own strength, but it was sinking sand. So I put my ruins into your hands and watched you restore them like only you can. If the
come before you this morning so grateful so in awe so filled with just wonder at all that you are and all that you have done as we have sung as we have prayed Lord we need you we need you every moment we need you every breath we need you for the next beat of our hearts 
We depend on you, Holy Spirit, in this time. And we thank you that in Christ we have this blessed, blessed assurance, this hope that is firmly planted in you, in what you have accomplished, in what you have ordered to take place. And so we're safe in that. We can rest in that. Whatever we're facing today, gosh, whatever temptations we've been dealing with in our daily lives, whatever grief we might be bearing, whatever anxiety, whatever relational strain, whatever it might be. I know each person in this room has something that comes to mind when they think about that thing, that thing that they're wrestling with. And Father, we thank you that you're not surprised by any of it. Anything we face, anything we walk through, you're so far ahead of us. You're already there. You're already faithful. You're already good. Even in the moments we haven't had to face yet, you're with us. You're in them. You're good. You're working. And so I just pray for a spirit of peace to come over each one. For those who are just here this morning, just desperate for a word from you, God, will you open their ears to hear your voice? For those who are just hoping to see a light in their dark night, will you open their eyes to see Jesus? For those who are coming in, struggling and bowed down, will you open their hearts to receive you, to trust you? Let us trust you. Help us to trust you, God with everything we have today. Everything we do here is for you. It's for your glory. We'd be all wasting our time and our breath and our song if it wasn't for you and for your glory that you might be magnified in our hearts and our lives in this place and in this world. So God, magnify your own name, we pray. Make yourself great. Show us who you are. Remind us that we are yours. We offer all of this to you in Christ's perfect and matchless and beautiful and precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Springbrook friends and family. My name is Rebecca Suarez, and it is my absolute pleasure to welcome you here this morning. Whether you're joining us here in person or online, thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. Um, If you would go ahead and just let us know you're here by taking a moment to fill out your connection card. We offer that here in person and online. So for those of you not in the know, uh, Valentine's Day is just a couple days away. So we are offering a Valentine's Day giveaway here at Springbrook. You have the opportunity to win uh, one of three prizes. You can win two tickets, ladies, to the Aspire Conference coming up in April. You could win movie passes for a date night, or you could also win a $25 gift card, which could be used for a dinner for a date night as well. So if you are interested in uh, um, entering that contest, go to our Springbrook app, and you'll see how to be able to do that. You get to enter one of those. Um, And the drawing will be tomorrow, Monday, and the office will contact you if you're a winner. So good luck on that. As I mentioned before, Saturday, April 22nd, our Women's Aspire Conference is coming up. Gentlemen, if you do not have a Valentine's gift, let me make a suggestion. Go ahead to springbrook.org aspire and register your special little lady for this great event. It's going to be a night of faith and fellowship, and she's not going to want to miss it. So, ladies, if you decide um, he's not responsible enough to do that, you go ahead and do it yourself. That's fine. Um, And it's time I invite you to sit back, relax, and Pastor Tim will be out in just a moment as we dive back into the book of Proverbs.
Well, good morning. I don't know that I want you to sit back and relax necessarily, but uh, sit forward and pay attention, right? It's good to be uh, back with you this morning here at Springbrook. Uh, uh, a very warm welcome to you, whether you're uh, uh, here with us live in person or joining us online this morning. Uh, it is good to be in the Lord's house. It is good to raise our voices together in praise to Him. Father, as we come now to Your Word once again this morning, we do ask that You would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our minds to understand, that we might reflect the beauty of Your wisdom before a watching world, and that we might know the joy that is found in Christ and Him alone. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Well, I have a little bit of a public service announcement, especially to those of you who maybe sat here this morning, and the main thing on your mind is a certain football game that's going to take place later on today, or perhaps it's the food that you're going to eat during the football game that takes place later on today. So this is especially aimed at men, and you can thank me later. I know you're thinking about the football game, but Tuesday is Valentine's Day, okay? So I, 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 I think this is important because you need to understand that a missed pass during a football game holds nothing in comparison to a missed Valentine's Day, okay? So if you're married or if you're in a, a relationship, just be aware of that Tuesday. You know, this time of year with Valentine's, if you've walked into a store or you've switched on the TV, you'll see that there's all sorts of uh, uh, things on sale that you're being reminded constantly of the fact that Tuesday is, in fact, Valentine's Day. And there's a sense in which um, Valentine's Day has come to epitomize the world's perspective on relationships. And, and when, you, when you consider the, 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 the kind of message, the kind of image, the kind of picture that is often communicated about what a relationship should be, uh, certainly there's this, uh, there's this romance that surrounds every part of it. And don't get me wrong, romance is, 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 is good. Uh, but there's this message, whether it be in Hallmark movies or greetings cards, whether it be in the latest rom-com, whether it be in books that are out there, or TV shows, or images of relationships, that, that a relationship is all about finding your soulmate, and that uh, you need to pursue that, that one person who can truly make you happy. Uh, there, there's so much pressure, in a sense, that is put on relationships as to lift them up in almost an idolatrous way. And yet, at the same time, in doing that, the worldly wisdom surrounding relationships is also, at the same time, like taking an axe and cutting away at the root of a healthy relationship. 
Not only is there the, the call to find your soulmate, but to do that, you have to, first of all, date around so that you know what you're supposed to be looking for. After, after dating around, um, well, then, of course, sex is an essential part of the discovery process because uh, having fun, uh, trying out multiple partners is, is, is so necessary because who wants to buy a car without first test driving it? So the wisdom of the world says love is promoted as something that we can fall into or fall out of. And if we happen to fall out of it, then that's okay. We just need to find the next person who can give us that feeling that we had before. The wisdom of the world surrounding relationships tells us that love is love no matter who it's with or how we do it. The wisdom of the world says that commitment takes many forms, of which marriage is just one of many options, but really marriage kind of complicates things, so it's probably better not to go that way. And so in many relationships, even if there's an idea maybe of moving towards it, a couple may say, oh, well, let's get engaged. And yet they're unwilling to actually put a date on the calendar. And so they are perpetually engaged because that's good enough. Just a word to the wise. Ladies, if he won't commit to a date, how can you trust him to commit to anything else? The wisdom of the world says if the feelings fade or someone else comes along, then be true to yourself. The ultimate goal is just that you're happy. So ditch the old one and move on to the new. There are all sorts of ideas within our contemporary world surrounding relationships. Human wisdom. Sadly, we are living in a day where marriage, something that society and culture have been built on for thousands of years, is actually at its lowest point on record. Fewer people than ever before are getting married. And that also includes the statistics of those who are getting married under a redefinition of what marriage is even supposed to be. And so when we think of the landscape in which we live, whether it be at the time of year that we find ourselves in with Valentine's Day just a few days away, or really this message which is perpetuated anywhere and everywhere in our society, how are we supposed to navigate this important area of relationships when we are inundated with a message of supposed wisdom from the world. Well, within the last couple of weeks, we started this new series that we're calling Walking in Wisdom as we're traveling together through some of the elements of the Old Testament book 
of Proverbs. It's a little bit of a different series in that we're not moving sequentially through the chapters of Proverbs. But we're discovering together that God has a wisdom that is distinct, that is different from anything that the world has to offer. So this morning, as we consider the book of Proverbs and specifically what it has to say about the issue of relationships, I'm aware of the fact that there are some here who are married, there are others who are uh, desirous of being married but are not yet in a relationship. There are others who have experienced the pain and the, the brokenness of a relationship gone bad. There are some who continue to grieve the passing of a lifelong mate. There are others who are just confused and trying to figure out what this next season of their life is going to bring. But as we open God's Word together this morning, we're going to find God's wisdom, God's design, and see how it brings joy and fulfillment and blessing in a way that worldly wisdom simply cannot match. And in the midst of a world that is espousing all sorts of ideas about relationships and in doing so leaves a trail of brokenness and pain, of abuse, of death, of heartache and depression. God's ways not only work, but they are kind and compassionate. They are wise. They are delightful. And when they are lived out by the people of God, we get to put on display for a watching world the beauty of the life that is lived in Jesus. Now, one of the challenges as we go through this book of Proverbs is it is possible to take some of the principles that we find in the book of Proverbs and live them out even apart from a relationship with Christ. There are wise instructions in the book of Proverbs that, that anybody can put into practice. But while you can put them into practice, it is only through a relationship with Christ that we understand the why. And it is only through that relationship with Christ that we experience the, the, the enablement to not only do these things, but to find joy and peace and purpose and contentment in doing them. And so, even as Pastor Rich has talked about over the last couple of weeks, early in the book of Proverbs, we see uh, uh, this instruction in chapter 1. The book begins by reminding us that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. And it explains it's to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. And then specifically in verse 7 of chapter 1, it tells us the fear of of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom 
and instruction. And so the book roots itself, it, it roots us in the fact that everything that follows has to do with living a life in reverence to God under the fear of the Lord. And so all of the instruction that we find in the book of Proverbs doesn't really make sense apart from a growing relationship with God. And so, as we spend a little bit of time this morning considering God's design, God's wisdom for relationships, and in particular, the marriage relationship, we need to recognize, first of all, that God has both the right and authority and the compassionate wisdom to give us instruction and to lead us in a way that brings joy and delight, fulfillment and blessing. So, as we consider these things, it's important that we in a sense, get our bearings and are reminded of some of what Pastor Rich has talked about over the last couple of weeks. The first thing is that the book of Proverbs, we need to understand that it is, in a sense, Solomon speaking to a son and giving instructions to that son. He is training him in the way of wisdom. He is preparing him to launch him into a productive and god honoring way of life. And as, so as we go through, much of the instruction has to do with preparing a young man, preparing a son to live wisely in the midst of the world. And so some of what we're going to see, especially when we look in a little while at, uh, at, at, at the, the wise woman, as we look at the wife, uh, it's from a perspective of training a son so that he would understand the kind of woman to look to. And so, we have to start, of course, with the fact that if we're going to talk about wisdom, if we're going to talk about a distinct way of doing relationships from what the world has to show us, we need to go back to God's original design. Uh, God's design for marriage, we find uh, first spoken about in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. We see uh, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Uh, And and there God declares, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And uh, this is not just an Old Testament principle. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is talking with the disciples, and he again reiterates God's design for marriage. He, being Jesus, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So, uh, again, in, in, in our world today, we need to come back to this. This is God's design. What's the first thing we see here? That there are two and only two genders, male and female. No exceptions, no additions. He who created them has the authority to determine how many there are, and he has with authority, created them from the beginning as male and female. He said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so we see a, a, a few important principles of God's design here, not only uh, the two genders, uh, but the fact that marriage is between a man and a woman, one man and one woman, uh, that it is a coming together, that is a joining together, a uniting before God, that it is something that has a permanence to it, that it is lifelong, that it is not to be separated, it is not to be disposed of. If God is the one who joins together, let not man separate. And so there is an intended design, a beautiful principle that we need to start with, because when we get to the book of Proverbs, this underlies, this is the foundation for all of the instruction that we find. And, and while this is very simple for most of us, it's like, yeah, we, we, we already know this stuff. Why are you bringing this up? Well, it's because we have to keep on reminding ourselves of this. Folks, uh, in the midst of a world that is moving in a different direction. We should not be an angry people. We should not be a people who are raising our voices and shaking our fists at people who disagree with us. But we must be those who are so grounded on the truth of God's Word that we are living that out ourselves and in living that out that we are displaying for a watching world that, that God's way is beautiful. That God's way works. We're not just arguing, shouldn't be arguing, but even when we're speaking about these matters, we're not presenting our opinions, but God's beautiful design. We also see when we do come to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to be jumping around a little bit today, so ordinarily, uh, you're probably aware I don't usually put our passage up on the screen. I invite you each week to open the copy of scriptures that you have, and I do certainly invite you to do that again today, but because we're going to be jumping around a little bit in the book of Proverbs, something of a systematic approach to this theme of marriage and relationships within the book. I am going to be having most of the passages up on the screen this morning. But one of the things that we find in the book of Proverbs is we are reminded or instructed over the fact that marriage is good. Marriage is good. And again, in our world today, we have kind of moved away from this. For thousands of years, it has been universally accepted and understood that marriage is a good thing. It, it brings blessing to families and communities and culture. But in our world today, it seems that this idea is being eroded. But in Proverbs 18.22, we are told that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, I, I, I want us to be careful here. This is not saying the only good thing is marriage. And this is not saying that the only way to experience the favor of God is to be married. That is certainly not the case. God, in His wisdom and by His grace, calls some to singleness. And that is a, a, a great gift 
not only in the life of his children, but also it is a blessing to the church. One of the things we have to be careful of is that we not so elevate marriage that we leave those who are unmarried feeling like second-class citizens within God's kingdom because that could not be further from the truth. And yet, it is true that within God's design, marriage is a good thing. It is a pleasing thing. It does bring blessing both to the husband and to the wife. It brings blessing to children. It brings blessing to community. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And again, we see here the fact that this is especially being directed towards a son who is being trained up. I think it's legitimate to say that he who finds a, or he, she who finds a husband uh, also finds a, a, a good thing because marriage is honorable. And there is a sense in which marriage, when it is done rightfully, when it is under God's authority, as we sang a little while ago, when the Lord builds the house, it is a place of of, of favor. It is a place in which we experience the sanctifying work of God in a special way. So, marriage is good. But how do we live out the kind of design that God calls us to? Well, we need to speak, as the book of Proverbs does, first to the husband. Uh, There is much instruction that's given in this book. And it's very relevant for us today. And this this is true for young men who are who are unmarried, as well as for those who are married as well as for older men who are single. We need to be on guard against sexual sin and be satisfied at home with our wife. There is a beauty that comes from waiting, from embracing and engaging fully in the relationship with our wife and of finding joy and satisfaction and contentment. This is a little bit of a longer passage, and so I invite you to turn with me to Proverbs and chapter 5, verses 15 through 23. Uh, Here within the book of Proverbs, there's a fairly lengthy section in chapter 5 and in chapter 6, which really has to do with being on guard against the immoral woman, the adulterous woman, woman. And, and, and it is really rooted at this idea of uh, the fact that sexual immorality and adultery uh, bring brokenness and despair. They are foolish. They may have an appeal. There may be an enticement to it, but it ultimately does damage to those who are engaged in it. And instead, in chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, we see this instruction, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should, you, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your, mountain, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. 
Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. And in this kind of poetic language there, there is the instruction about the fact that there is a joy and a beauty and a satisfaction that comes. from being fully engaged in the relationship that God gives you within the bounds of marriage. And that outside of that, it is foolish, it is destructive. There is a connection that is made that when it is broken, only brings brokenness and harm. And so we have this beautiful picture here of being satisfied at home with your wife, of being on guard against sexual sin. And when we consider God's design for marriage, it's also appropriate that we consider the words of the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, the instruction is very clear, states, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And so we see, again, God's design, not only that marriage is good, but that He has established marriage as the only right environment in which the sexual relationship should be enjoyed and expressed. And so, Wisdom for the wise husband is to be on guard and to be satisfied with our wife. That's that, our head's not on a pivot looking everywhere else. We need to be on guard not just against multiple relationships. We need to be patient and wait on God. But we also need to be careful that we're not making excuses that at a website or a video that we watch on our phone or a magazine that we find and pick up is not really doing any harm. God's wise ways bring blessing. And so we need to guard our hearts and our minds so that we can give ourselves fully to the relationships, the relationship with our wife that he gives to us. We also see further wisdom in the book of Proverbs directed at the wise husband. See your wife as a gift from God and treat her accordingly. And so we've got these multiple uh, reminders of this. Proverbs 12, 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness to his bones. We'll talk about that second phrase in just a few minutes. But an excellent wife is the crown of 
her husband. So there's this idea of the fact that, that, that a wise, that a godly wife, it, 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 in a sense, brings glory to her husband. It attests to his wisdom. It is a, she is a demonstration of the Lord's favor and blessing. It is a good thing. What's more, we already talked about uh, Proverbs 18.22, that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Again, that, that, that a wise wife, a, a godly wife, is a, is a gift from God. And likewise, Proverbs 19, 14, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And so we see uh, this, this beautiful picture here of the fact that men especially if you're married. We need to be the kind of wise husbands who recognize that your wife is a gift to you from God. Now, I know the reality that relationships are hard. And there are some days where we struggle to see one another within a marriage relationship as being a gift. There are days, let's be honest, where it's hard to feel like we like one another very much. It's hard at times to be patient with one another. And, and the world's wisdom would be, uh, well, that's okay. You know, um, you only have her uh, as a rental. No. When we recognize our wife is a gift from God, we should treat her with a sense of preciousness. We should speak, treat her with a sense of honor and of delight. And it causes us to, in a sense, see with new eyes. Do you know, men, that your wife is a gift from God to you? It's coming a day when we will stand in the presence of our Savior and will give account for how we have cherished that gift that He has given for us. The church of Jesus Christ, those who name the name of Jesus, we desperately need to get back to these biblical principles. You've heard the statistics as much as I have. I think that a lot of them are blown out of proportion, but the reality is there are many broken marriages in the church, and there are a whole bunch of different reasons for that, but one of them one of them is that we have taken our lead from a foolish world instead of from a wise God. Men, your wife is not perfect, but neither are you. But she is a gift. Start acting like it. Cherish, honor, Pour yourself into her. Recognize that God has in his wisdom put you together. We also 
If we're to be wise husbands, we need to recognize that we are to be a partner with our wife in the discipleship and the launch of children. In fact, it's not just in the discipleship and launch of children. Uh, it, it is in the marriage. Sometimes there's this idea of, oh, well, you know, the Bible's really old-fashioned on this, and it's all about the man doing everything, and the woman's kind of just like a, a second-class citizen. That's not biblical at all. There is a partnership. There is a unity. There is a working together. There is an encouragement and a building one another up, and especially uh, within the bounds of marriage. As, uh, as uh, the Lord, if He chooses, gives us children, there is a joining together in unity. We are not to work against one another, but we are to work together in the raising of children. Again, in Proverbs chapter 1, we see this example. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And so we have this picture here of the father and the mother are training and instructing. They are moving together in the same direction with unity and with purpose for the glory of God. The wise husband learns to pray as his wife and teaches his children to do so as well rejoicing in her pursuit of Christ above all other virtues. And again, at the end of the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 31, we see her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Often, within the relationships that are closest to us, we can be very critical in our speech. But the wise husband who recognizes that his wife is a gift from God looks to praise her, looks to celebrate, looks to encourage, looks to, to, to let others know of her virtue and her pursuit of Christ. In the context there of chapter 31, it's really talking about lady wisdom even rather than a wife, and yet at the same time it is emblematic of a wise woman, the kind of woman that women should aspire to be, that men should aspire uh, to find as a godly wife. And she's invested. So men, husbands, let me ask, do your words build up and praise and give life to your wife? Or do they tear down and criticize? What are we training our children to do? Do you have children who, when they speak to their mother, speak disrespectfully, critically, mockingly, and who act in disobedience? Or are we modeling the kind of respect, and when they do speak disrespectfully, as a godly father, that you discipline them appropriately so that they would learn how to rightly treat their mother, and so that they would be trained how to rightly treat the future spouse if the Lord gives them. So, briefly, some application for the wise husband. 
Don't worry, ladies, we're coming to you in just a moment. Application for wise husbands. Find contentment at home with your wife. Men, if you're married, go home and enjoy being together with your wife. There's a value in our day which, again, is foolish. And that is that we spend all sorts of money on getting our man cave in our house. You know what? Followers of Jesus, let's get rid of the man cave. Let's get a den of discipleship. Let's not fill our homes with a space that we can be away from our wife doing our own thing, away from our children doing our own thing. When you go home, it is to your family. Most of us are out at work a lot of hours in the week. But when you go home, be present. When you go home, be engaged. When you go home, pour yourself into the gift that God has given you. I'm not saying you don't get to watch a football game occasionally. I'm not saying that you don't get to, to do a hobby that you enjoy. But we have to make sure that we are wise in the use of our time. And a foolish husband comes home with nothing left in the tank for his wife. But the wise one recognizes that when they arrive at home, they have a task, they have a responsibility, they have a gift, they have a relationship to foster for the glory of God. Lead your home, men, to be a, in such a way as to be a blessing to your wife and to, and to your descendants. And I said descendants even above children because if we took the time to go through the book of, uh, of Proverbs from start to finish, we'll see it's not just about your children, but it's about your children's children and your children's children's children. Because a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. There is an investment that we make now that the wise man recognizes that by the grace of God will echo down for generations. And so, within the book of Proverbs, the wise husband is one who makes appropriate provision for the needs of his family, materially, relationally, instructively. Uh, he is one who is an encouragement to his wife, an encouragement to his children, who disciplines his children, who instructs them in the way of the Lord, who nurtures his wife and helps her to, to, to flourish in her walk with the Lord. And he does that by giving spiritual leadership in the home. Man, if you're married, step up as the spiritual leader in the home. Don't wait for your wife to say, oh, I really wish we could pray together more. Don't wait for your wife to say, I'd really like to go to church this Sunday. Step up and take the lead. Be an initiator in your home in getting your family into the presence of God. Let her know that you're committed to her and invested in the marriage relationship. There are a lot of different ways that we can do that. A couple of just really practical things. Uh, out in the, in the lobby, we have the Five Love Languages book. It's, men, even above flowers and chocolate. For some of us, 
a way in which we can say, I'm committed to you, is to say, hey, there's that book out there. Let's read it together and talk about it so that we can grow in our relationship. And I know a lot of men are like, oh, reading and talking about relationships. I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's not always easy. But be a sacrificial leader. Do something that you find uncomfortable, something that doesn't come as naturally to you, but that you know will help your wife to flourish. And in doing so, will help her to see, I am so committed to our relationship that I'm going to do something that I would not normally choose to do because I'm doing it for us. Some may even be interested to know that Family Life Today, a great Christian ministry, they they have what they call their weekend to remember coming up April 14th through 16th. It's a time where you get away together for kind of a marriage conference to help to invest in your relationship. And you can learn more about that at familylife.com. It's coming up in Oakbrook Terrace, so not too far from here. Maybe, man... I'm giving you a Valentine's idea here. And make it your ambition. How do we do this? We make it our ambition to love our wife in such a way as to instruct our sons and daughters. Man, if the Lord grants you the gift of children, love your wife in such a way that you demonstrate, that you model for your son the kind of relationship that he should aspire to in days to come. And that you model for your daughter the kind of relationship that would cause her to say, I don't want anything that is a cheap substitute because I have seen how a man should treat a woman. And that's what I want. It's one of the ways in which we disciple. God's design is for this kind of husband. God's wisdom. But the book of Proverbs also gives instructions to the wife. For the wise wife, she's to be a crown to her husband and not a cancer to his bones. Now, I have to warn you, um, the book of Proverbs in some ways appears to be far more critical of the wife. It is not criticizing the wife. Again, it is simply that there is a warning Uh, of a son, as the instruction is being given, is saying, look for this kind of woman, not this kind of woman. And so uh, it's saying, uh, uh, an excellent wife is the crown to her husband. We saw this a moment ago, but she who brings shame is like rottenness to his bones. There is the ability, wives, there is the ability to be a blessing and a joy to the family, to the husband to be working together, to be celebrating together the goodness of God, but there is also the ability to cause strain and brokenness and disease in a marriage. And don't get me wrong, men, you have the same ability to bring destruction to a marriage relationship. And likewise, husband, and wife should be working together for the building up, for the strengthening of the marriage, for the blessing of one another, and not for its tearing down. Sometimes 
it's easy for us to criticize and lay blame at the feet of our spouse and refuse to recognize the fact that we have brought poison to the relationship. The wise wife understands likewise that she has the power to either build the home or to tear it down. Proverbs 14.1 says, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. And so there is an investment that is to be made by the husband. He is to be the spiritual leader. He is to provide well. He is to cherish. He is to, he, he is to nourish his wife. He is to invest in that way. But likewise, ladies, there is a sense, a daily choice that is set before you either to build or to tear down. And this again goes both ways. But I got to tell you, with more than 20 years of pastoral ministry, I cannot, cannot even begin to communicate the number of times in which I have sat with couples. And I have heard and I have seen how a wife has become frustrated with her husband. Maybe he's not leading. And what she started to do is to tell everybody, everywhere, about all of her frustrations. And it tears down a house. Be careful. Be careful. What's more, and again... I'm not apologizing for God's Word here. I'm apologizing for the fact that this image seems to be uh, um, uh, really critical. But we have to understand the purpose here in the book of Proverbs. Uh, um, the instruction for the wise wife is to practice prudence, not complaining or quarreling. Look at these. A foolish son is the ruin to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. And so we see the comparison there between the prudent wife who has a gift from God and the quarreling wife who is like the continual dripping of rain. Um, apparently, they had all sorts of leaky houses back in Solomon's day because in Proverbs 21, it says, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. In Proverbs 25, it is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. And in Proverbs 27, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. So we see here what seems to be kind of this negative image. And don't get me wrong. Husbands, we can be quarrelsome. And we can be critical. But I think that what's going on here in Proverbs, this warning that is repeatedly given, is the fact that when there is a lack of unity in the marriage, when there is a, both of them are striving and at tension with one another, where the husband is, is called to lead, but the wife is trying to lead in her own way, in contention against that, it brings destruction. And it makes the home a place where the husband doesn't want to be. And so while there, the book of Proverbs has a series of contrasts from beginning to end, this rather than this 
here, the instruction is, ladies, practice prudence rather than complaining or quarreling. That doesn't mean that we always agree with everything our husbands do. What is prudence? Well, prudence is the kind of intelligence that sees the reasons behind things. People with prudence can think their way through complex matters and see what lies behind them, and thereby they are able to make wise decisions about them. And so in situations where, uh, where there is uncertainty or a lack of clarity, in situations where you maybe are struggling to agree with the direction that the husband is leading in, rather than a, a critical, complaining, uh, tearing down or, or striving to, to take a hold of the mantle of leadership in the marriage, the, the prudent wife, the prudent wife is seeking the Lord. The prudent wife is, is, is asking questions. The prudent wife is suggesting gently alternative ways in order to help to lead the husband to pursue wisdom so that you can walk in it together. And then, finally, wisdom for the wise wife. Proverbs 31 Verses 10 through 31, we're not going to look at that entire passage, but it instructs us that the wise wife wisely uses the various gifts that God has given to her to be a blessing to her family and to the community around her. And so, it acknowledges the fact that, ladies, God has gifted and crafted and created you with value and worth and dignity, with gifts and with abilities that bring blessing to your husband, that bring blessing to your family, that bring blessing to the church. Engage in those fully, in service to God. Do them with a joyful heart. Do them with a a, a sacrificial giving. Do them to build up and not to tear down, or to usurp. And that takes wisdom. It takes wisdom. And so what do we do? How do we apply some of these things? Ladies, if you're married, if you're looking to marriage in the future, support and encourage your husband and refuse to wrestle for the leadership of the home. God, in His wise design, has established an order that brings blessing. It's not about value. It's not about importance. But he has given to the husband the role as spiritual leader of the home. Don't fight for the position that God has called your husband to take. Instead, pray for him. Walk with him. Work together with him because that brings joy and blessing to all. Do what you can to make your home a safe and welcoming place where he wants to be and especially where he wants to be with you. Sometimes 
We can desire that when our husband comes home, when we have time together, that we actually spend time together. But just like that means that the husband needs to lay down some of his preferences in order to do things that together with his wife that she will enjoy and that will communicate love. So likewise, wives towards the husband. Prioritize your relationship with Christ as first place. With your husband as second, and with your children as third. And to many mothers, this sounds like a heresy. But this is biblical wisdom. You are not in a covenant before God with your children, but you are with your husband. Many who live by the world's so-called wisdom, say, pour everything into your children. If you have anything left over, that's fine. Give it to your husband. No. If you want to bless your children, invest in your marriage. Because a strong marriage, a close relationship, first of all with Christ, secondly with your husband, will, in a sense, trickle down with delight and blessing to your children. But if you get those mixed up, if you elevate the children to a higher position above that of your husband, you will ultimately cause harm to your children and damage to your marriage. God's ways are not the ways of the world. They are wise. And God's wisdom is so much higher, so much greater than the wisdom of this world. Let me just say to those who are here this morning who are not yet married, who are unmarried or perhaps who the Lord is even calling to a life of singleness. Walk in purity. Walk in purity. And don't compromise. Don't compromise on the standards and the instruction and the wisdom that we find here in the Word of God. But fear the Lord and wait on Him. Even though everybody else around you might be pursuing a different way of doing relationships. Wait on God. Desire marriage as a good thing. But not as everything. So if you're single, it's, it's good to desire marriage. But don't elevate it to that level of being an idol in your life. Recognize that it is a good thing. Recognize it is something that is worthy of aspiring to should the Lord grant it. But don't build your identity around whether you are in a relationship or not. Build it on Christ. And if you're unmarried, but in a relationship that you're in, you are acting in a way as if you are married, then get before the Lord and do business with Him. Maybe it's time to get married. Honor the Lord 
in your relationships and quit making excuses. And finally, to those whose relationships have maybe resembled more the pattern of this world rather than the wisdom of God, or to those whose marriage now or a previous one has fallen far short of God's design. Know that there is forgiveness and healing and restoration in Jesus Christ. Come back to Him. Confess your sin. Repent of it. Turn from those ways. Let Him bring forgiveness and healing and restoration and beauty even from those ashes. My prayer is that we may honor one another, that we may glorify the Lord in our relationships, that God would grant that that the church of Jesus Christ, the church right here at Springbrook would have such rich and beautiful marriages that our own families, that our neighbors, that our co-workers, that the people across this community and beyond would see the cheapness of the foolishness of the world's wisdom and would see the beauty of God's design and that they wouldn't want to settle for anything less. But most of all, we need to understand that as Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament tells us, while the husband is to sacrificially love his wife, while the wife is to respect her husband, taking that right place in the relationship out of honor for Christ. And that God has actually given us in His wise plan and design the gift of marriage to put on display for a watching world the mystery of Christ's love for the church. And so when we are talking about relationships, we're not just talking about comfort and convenience. We're not talking about personal fulfillment or satisfaction, though there is delight in doing things God's way. We are talking about the fact that you and I, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we get through our relationships to put on display for a watching world the beauty of the love of Jesus. May our marriages, may our relationships, may our interactions with one another declare the fact that we have been transformed and that Christ is Lord in every realm of our lives. That's our calling. That's how we're to live. This is serious business. Valentine's is not just a hallmark holiday. It's an opportunity for us once again to evaluate are we living according to God's good design. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us and care for us that there is not one area of our lives that you leave us to try to figure out on our own. 
but you who are good and wise have granted to us the knowledge of your wise design for relationships. Lord, I do pray that this would be a church in which marriages flourish, a church in which young people see the good and the blessing of marriage, aspire to it, but are not idolizing it. And I pray that we would be a people who walk in such purity and such obedience to your wise ways that we not only experience within our own homes and families the healing, the wholeness, and the joy that is found from walking wisely before you in the fear of the Lord, but that we would also be those whose relationships at every level put on display the transforming power of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those here today who are feeling the sting of brokenness in relationships, perhaps even some who came this morning ready to give up on a marriage, either because of a long period of neglect, because of sin, because of abuse, because of addiction or brokenness. Oh God, give wisdom. Oh Lord, bring healing and wholeness to husband and wife. And give us wisdom as a church to know how to come alongside one another, to celebrate that is good, that which is good, and to work to support that which is broken. Lord, we ask this. Give us grace that we might live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's rise together one more time in body or in spirit and respond and worship this word we've heard together.
thank you for being with us this Sunday morning as we have lifted the name of our holy God on high together. As we go from here, walk in wisdom and in the fear of the Lord. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a great week.